0: Well being from a very holistic standpoint, physical, mental, emotional. And something that is certainly a big part of well being is our relationships. And I think we focus a lot on our relationships with ourselves, but we have done a few episodes that at least touch upon, if not center around, relationships with other people, romantic relationships specifically. And Jason, you know that I've noticed how a lot of people end up finding our website and our podcast because they're searching for information about relationships. And I thought that we could talk more about that today. Just dive in a little bit deeper.
1: I think that's a great idea. And certainly, I, to your point, Whitney, a lot of people have been listening to the episodes that we've recorded about romance and archetypes and love languages and a lot of the things that we've talked about. And um, I think certainly the concept of human relationship goes certainly far beyond just the romantic relationships we have in our life. And it makes me think about the Greeks in particular and how many individual distinct words they had for different kinds of love. And they had philos, which was sort of a brotherly love, agape, which is sort of a universal, all-encompassing love. And then, of course, we have Eros, romantic love. So I think it's cool that you're opening the space up for this and we can dive into maybe a broader exploration of what it means to be in relationship with one another.
0: Well, the keyword that a lot of people have been using to find our, our website and our podcast is the phrase ideal relationship. And that's because of a episode we did. This was actually pretty early on. The this is within the first week, I think, of our podcast. It was one of the original episodes that we put out. And I just went and found that we recorded this over a year ago. It looks like it was recorded in April 2019. And we're recording this current episode in June 2020. And a lot has changed <laughs> since that, that time. And just like anything else, our feelings change, our education evolves and I think it's important to revisit things because just because we felt some a certain way or we had a certain thought or viewpoint in the past doesn't mean that it's the same even if it's only been a little over a year since we talked about something and so I wanted to dive into what your current feelings are about what a, an ideal relationship is Jason what is your perception around it when you think of the phrase Ideal relationship. What does that mean to you? What comes up for you, actually? It doesn't need to be a definition. It could be like, what's your reaction to that phrase, ideal relationship?
1: The first thing that comes up for me right now, as you so beautifully outlined over a year later that we're recording this episode, <laughs> I've been really reflecting on all of the lists that I've written over the years in terms of the qualities and the attributes and the personality traits that i wanted in a partnership and i've i've written several of those lists over the years after hearing about other friends doing it or them encouraging me to do it and put into words what i wanted to manifest in a type of a romantic context but i'm realizing that when you bring up the phrase ideal relationship i've been really sitting with some of my quote ideals And how I think for a long time, Whitney, I have been so specific, so incredibly specific about what I've wanted in terms of a relationship. And I've been reflecting on this during the quarantine period a lot, is have I, unbeknownst to myself, pushed certain people away or maybe didn't give certain things a chance because I was so fixated on these specific characteristics, attributes, and personality traits the way that I wanted to be with someone, it makes me reflect on several people I know that have been in long-term relationships, one of which is my mentor, Michael, who's been with his partner, Kevin. They've only been married for a few years, but they've been together over 30 years. And I ask Michael sometimes about their relationship, he and Kevin, and the dynamic and the personalities. And, and it's by no means, quote, ideal. you know. He's told me many times that there are things that irritate the shit out of each other personality traits but at the core of it is so much respect and love and playfulness and communication and allowing i don't know it it i'm giving you a really long answer cuz i'm just making it up in real time as we do with pretty much damn near everything on this podcast we're just figuring it out on the fly i suppose what i'm saying is that the feeling and the energy and the love and the respect and the communication i'm finding are more important to me than maybe other more specific physical things or her interests or things like that. I guess what I'm saying is I've, I've kind of broadened maybe a little bit my perspective on what an ideal relationship looks like by relaxing some of those ideals.
0: I feel like we might have touched upon it either in that episode we were referring to. I think it's called Elements of an Ideal Relationship. And we'll link to that for you, the listener, if you have not listened to that. You could listen to both these episodes if you're curious. And that, as I said, came out towards the beginning of our launch for this. And I don't remember off the top of my head you know what order it's in. But we will link to it in the show notes at WellEvator.com. Our website spelled dot rcom And if you go to the podcast section, you can see the show notes for every single episode, including this one. And uh, we'll link to that and anything else that we reference here. And I can't remember if it was in that episode or another, or maybe if we talked about this on air at all, maybe you'll remember Jason, <laughs> but I too had a list of ideals in a partner and I just pulled it up because I, I saved it in my notes. And I, it looks like that I wrote this in 2010 originally and I started adding to it. And so 10 years later, looking over, this is fascinating. Does this ring a bell? Did, I feel like I brought this up on one of our episodes, like I actually went through the list.
1: It wasn't in the Jason Green episode about attachment styles. It wasn't in that episode.
0: No, I feel like this is long ago. It might've been in that, the other ideal relationship episode. I'm not quite sure, but it is really interesting how, to your point, I'm thinking back 10 years after I, I wrote this list and I'm sure there were others, you know, growing up, we would often fantasize about all of these things. And I think my mentality was, Perhaps a combination of getting clear about what I wanted. And I think it's also kind of comforting to list out the ideals. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, I can visualize it. And that there's just a lot of comfort in thinking about what we really want. It's kind of like... <laughs> I actually just saw this on TikTok the other day, how a lot of people love going on Zillow and just looking at their dream homes, even though... They-
1: totally
0: they might not be able to afford them at this point, but it's still like nice to fantasize. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think a lot of us do that through social media as we look at each other's lives and we think about who we admire and what we want for ourselves. And I think that can be helpful, but also sometimes a little, a little dangerous, right? As Especially if we're relying too much on something else that somebody else has, or getting superficial with it. And in, in a way, writing out characteristics that you wanted somebody, whether they're based on their appearance or personality or lifestyle. I don't, you know, I think the older that you get, the more relaxed you get. I don't know if it's a combination of feeling like you want to be less picky, <laughs> you know, because the, the dating pool gets smaller, the older that you get, or at least it feels like it does. I think I think statistically it does. But a lot of preferences start to change as well. And maybe some of the, the things that you fantasized about later on, you realize aren't as important, or you, you realize you don't really actually need. And so it is interesting to, to create these lists because part of me feels like, oh, maybe that'll help you manifest it. And if you write it down, it'll happen. And It'll help you be clear about what you want and what you don't want. And that'll keep you centered because sometimes we meet people and they're just not a good fit for us. But maybe we're attracted to them for something else or we're drawn to them. And and maybe that's related to our trauma. Are we interested in this person for poor reasons? You know, like, is there something about them that's not really good for us? In other words,
1: right? Trauma bonds, they call them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe writing down this list, just like anything else, will keep you centered on what's really important to you. But then again, to your point, Jason, having a list, if you're too attached to it, you may disregard some people if they don't fit in that, you know? And you see this a lot with dating apps because you can go on there and filter out people based on their age or the, you know, or you can skip over people because of their height or, you know, whatever other factors. Versus the difference it is when you meet somebody outside of a dating app, you may find that you're interested in somebody that you never would have even given a chance if you literally filtered them out in an app. You know what I mean? And then you start to realize, oh, I was attracted to this person and I'm interested in this person for so many other reasons besides my list.
1: It's interesting because the phrase that comes up to me, Whitney, as you're describing this is, well, it looked good on paper. And I can't tell you how many times I've said that when I had these lists, different versions of these lists. I think I first wrote this list of the attributes and characteristics, personality traits in 2007. I think I still have the journal with those. It'd be really interesting to go back. So that was as time of this recording, yeah, 13 years ago. And I have written different lists, but I can't tell you the number of times where I would meet someone or go on a date, connect with someone, and realize that a few cases, the majority of the big things on that list. Here's the other part. No one's ever met a hundred percent of the attributes on those lists. No one that I could perceive. But the comment of it looks good on paper is thinking of these specific situations where I met these women and was like, oh my God, they're into this and they eat this way and they they pray this way and they meditate this way and they're into this and They love these things and they're whatever it is. You know, there's a million examples of of interests and likes and lifestyle and way that they see the world. But there was something energetically that just wasn't clicking with us in a romantic sense, in a sexual sense, in a perspective of physical or emotional connection. So it's it's an interesting thing to say it looks good on paper because you can list out all of these externalities or their viewpoints or their beliefs, but it doesn't guarantee that if you meet someone, who embodies all of these characteristics and these ways of being? That there's going to be a connection, you know, or at least a romantic, intimate connection. And there's too many examples to list of this where I would meet someone, and go, "Oh my God, you're like I said, super excited," and then a few dates in or a few weeks of getting to know them, I'm like, "This isn't driving energetically," and and it's almost an intangible thing. Of there's, you know, I can hear people saying, "Oh, well, you should have given it more time," but I just kind of feel that you either really click with someone and you're on that energetic level, you're on that sexual level, you're on that that vibrational level, to go there for a second, and all the attributes and traits and personality quirks don't guarantee that you're going to click with someone and link with them on that level. It's I, so it's weird, right? Because you can write this out and then meet someone who fulfills most of those things and you're like, "I'm not feeling this." And there's so many times where I had to check myself and be like, "Why am I not feeling this? Like look at how many amazing traits this person has, but I don't know if it's, if it's not there, it's not there. It's strange, but true. And I've experienced that a lot, actually.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of this changes over time. Our relationship with our, ourselves changed so much and our relationships with other people. And so our ideals are going to change so much too. And it's interesting how even just the word ideal, like what exactly does that mean? Because I think there's different levels of ideal in terms of how we perceive them and and is it that we're just trying to prepare ourselves for a relationship by trying to make ourselves ideal and trying to find the ideal partner? But then once you're in the relationship with somebody, then trying to make that ideal. And then it's like, is that just another level of perfectionism? Are you just trying to get it right? Are you trying to increase your chances? And I think one thing we've touched upon in a few episodes and Actually, I think this might have come up with our episode with Sunny, which just came out last week. And we'll link to that as well. That should be the previous episode if you just want to look back on on the order in which we released them here. And we spoke about kind of challenging the typical relationship struggle. I mean, not struggle, but well, we talked about that a little bit, but challenging like the cultural definitions of relationships and marriage and how... You might be doing something radically different than other people. You might be doing something that isn't perceived as normal, or you might be going against the grain in other words. And I think some people are afraid to do that because a part of being in a relationship, like idea of a relationship is, well, how can I make this look good to others? You know, keeping up those appearances so that other people will see that I'm in a good relationship and are you doing this really for yourself? Are you doing it for somebody else? Are you doing it for your partner? Is it, is it really nourishing you? Because I think the problem with trying to make things ideal, which again, feels a lot like trying to make things perfect, is that you get so caught up in what it looks like versus what it feels like.
1: Yes, Whitney. Yes. That's so amazing. Yeah, that was that's a soundbite. That's a tweet, right? We get so caught up in what it looks like rather than what it feels like. I'm I'm in that, right? In the sense of, as you said, why do we create these ideals or these lists or these parameters? I think you spoke to one reason that's super on point, which is this externality of, look at how amazing my partner is. Look at how together my relationship is. Look at this beautiful family we created or this house we created together. A lot of it, I think, if we as humans were to be honest about it, it is about keeping up appearances. Same reasons why we maybe, I don't know, buy the certain cars we do or live in the certain zip codes. It's about like, look, I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of success. I did a good job. Look, I have a good relationship. I have a great house. I have a great family. Look, everyone, I'm winning. I think the other side of it that comes up for me too, as you were detailing that, Wit, is this idea of manifesting. Because the whole idea for me, at least in writing these lists over the years, was I'm going to manifest my partner, you know, and I would put images on my vision boards of the dynamics or images I wanted to feel in a partnership along with the list of characteristics of this person. But as part of a broader discussion of, of this practice of manifestation, I've been really looking inside myself at any sort of narcissistic or self-centered qualities that are infecting this manifestation process. Because to me, there's a fine line between desire Desire is interesting because on the one hand, you have perhaps some lineages of traditional Zen Buddhism that say desire and attachment to desire leads to suffering. But then you have luminaries and people we like, like Danielle Laporte, who has something called the desire map, or Abraham Hicks, who says, you can't, in this human experience, fully remove yourself from desire. It's not possible. And desire can actually be healthy when focused the right way. But as part of that discussion of desiring things, I'm realizing that my desires aren't going away. I have no intention of killing those desires, as some people say, kill your ego, which I also don't believe is possible. But in yielding to our desires and being honest about them and talking about what we desire, as related to this manifestation conversation and partnership and ideal relationships, I've just noticed that there's a bit of a a narcissistic type of thing there of like, I'm going to get exactly what I want. And this person's going to have this, 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 and this. And if not, you know what? I'm just going to stay single. Fuck it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not shaming that approach. But I've been in that mindset before of if I don't meet someone who has all these qualities and all these attributes and doesn't jive on these levels, then you know I'm just going to stay single. Fuck it. And I see a lot of that advice floating around the internet from people, coaches, whatever. And it's just interesting. And and maybe narcissism isn't the right word, but for myself, there's almost like this energetic, like, ooh, feeling sometimes in the manifestation conversation where it's like, if I don't get it exactly this way, I don't want it at all. And it's like, I don't know, it's a slippery slope for me. It's a slippery slope.
0: Absolutely. And and it just makes me wonder how do you have a strong relationship with somebody if if it's based on something so superficial, right? Like would i want to be with somebody just because i look the way they want me to look no of course not because my looks are going to change over time right i mean i feel like a lot of people's lists of ideal mates <laughs> have to do with looks or even even when we meet through a dating app that has a lot to do with how you look in those pictures or if you meet at a bar it has to do with that and a lot of times it's if you just meet somebody once and they look a certain way and then and then catfishing obviously is, an, is a, a challenge for a lot of people because you see somebody in one capacity and like a lot of women have shame around what they'll look like when they don't feel presentable, for example. And I, I bet you men do as well. It's like, well, I happen to look really good in that photo or I happen to look really good at, at that moment that you first saw me. But what about how I look when I first wake up and I don't have any makeup on and my hair's a mess and my breath doesn't smell very good? Or <laughs> what do I look like when I'm sick or when I'm having a really bad day and I'm sad or depressed? I mean, actually, Jason, I would love for you to share about that if, if you're open to it. I know one thing you've expressed with me re- recently in, in your current relationship dynamic is is how you felt with this new person during some of your challenging emotional times when you were feeling really depressed and vulnerable. And it sounded like you were almost surprised by the level of support you were getting. So if you want to expand upon that, and even in comparison, if you'd like to share your past experiences and and your current experience.
1: It's interesting when things are going, quote, good, or the metrics that we assign for goodness in our life are all being checked. You know Those lists in our mind of like, making a lot of great money, I'm at a job that feels good, my health's great, I'm feeling myself, got a fresh haircut, got brand new shoes, whatever. Whatever the arbitrary externalized lists in our minds are, I think it's easy to feel good in our relationship when we have all of these external type of things that are, are being met. And the interesting thing is in this new relationship that I'm in, I mean, we met right before the lockdown and the quarantine, like literally, I think maybe 10 days prior to here in Los Angeles, at least things being quarantined, shut down, stay at home, all those orders being being met. It was literally like right be- right before we were in the pandemic already, right? But it was it was before the lockdown. So it's been, first of all, it's been an unusual and unique and really interesting container to... Get to know someone, explore someone new, because I'll preface it by saying that a lot of the I'll use the word distractions and I don't mean that in a negative way, but a lot of the things that one would normally do with a new person you're dating or a new partnership, going to the movies, going to libraries, going to walks in the garden, going on hikes, going to the beach, taking trips have been unavailable. Those options have been completely unavailable, so a lot of the the i guess the the styles of dating or the dating rituals, moreover, are just not there. They're not options. So we've been in a container of, I'll call it accelerated intimacy, because it's deeper conversations and getting to know each other on a much more quick and accelerated way. Because when I say distractions, you know, it's when you're you're at a theme park or you're at the the park together or you're you're doing these dating type of things, these dating rituals. You're so in the moment that sometimes you're not necessarily talking about your past or your trauma or the things you're struggling with, but by virtue of this really focused container of quarantine, COVID-19 and everything that's been happening in the world, we've had an opportunity to get to know each other really quickly, which has been beautiful because I have not been withholding at all my mental health struggles from her. I certainly have been haven't been withholding my financial struggles during the quarantine which it's been a lot of questions of what am I doing in the world? I haven't, you know, I haven't worked for over three months and, and, you know, where's my career heading? What is happening? What the hell am I doing? It's been a lot of emotions and certainly most recently with, you know, the, the civil demonstrations and the bringing to light a lot of the, the racism and, and tensions in our society in America. I mean, there's so many layers of emotions that I've been feeling. And, you know, she told me, she said, you know, I'm not used to dating someone who's this emotional or a man that's this emotional. And she was kind of surprised by, I suppose, my, my breadth or depth of emotional capacity. And now, you know, she really, she really has told me she, she cares for me deeply and, and loves the fact that I'm such an emotional sensitive person. But to answer your question with, that was a very long way of getting the answer through my own mental health struggles or my struggles with purpose and money and career right over this portion of time. And then the other thing too, is I've had a, a foot injury. I've had a flare up of gout the past week. That's been extremely painful and she just keeps showing up and keeps showing up and keeps showing up and is not just tolerant of my struggles but has been so wonderful in the small things of can i go to the grocery store and get you things cuz you can't you can't walk on your foot right now it's too painful can i just hold space for you crying like sometimes i just need to cry i don't necessarily need to be told it's going to be okay or anything like that although she does say that i just need someone to just Be a container for my suffering and my emotion because it'll pass. And it's those kind of things. And she's so wonderful and so loving in that way. Those are the kind of things that I wasn't writing on those lists, you know? I wasn't like, oh, when I'm really super emotional and sensitive and having a breakdown or having struggles with my mental health or my sense of purpose in the world, she'll hold space and be loving and non judgmental. Like, that's not the kind of shit I was writing on those lists. But I'm realizing that beyond the, the physical attributes, although I do find her very beautiful, I'm very attracted to her and, and that chemistry is there, but beyond the the physical things, there are those emotional interactions, those spiritual interactions, those ways that we support each other in our times of pain, our times of darkness, our times of confusion, our times of questioning who the hell we are. Those hold a lot of meaning for me and I'm realizing the the, the power of that, that when you're with someone, you're dating or you're in a relationship and the proverbial shit hits the fan, if you will, or the challenges arise, that's when you get to see, I think, the layers of a person that you wouldn't see when you're going out to the movies or going to a theme park or going on vacation. It's through the challenges and being put in the uncomfortable, dark, painful situations that you see those aspects of a person. And with Laura right now, you know, I'm getting to see like, as we're both in challenging situations in life how we're showing up for one another and it's it's amazing. And I'm not sure that we would have seen those sides of each other as quickly had we not been in the situation in the world that we've been in, you know?
0: It's such a great gift too because well one thing that is interesting that you said Jason is how she keeps showing up. And it almost to me feels like you're surprised by that. <laughs> Which is interesting because I feel like a lot of times we assume that people aren't going to show up in, for us in the ways that we need, or you know, we just are attached to things that happened to us in the past and assume that the way we were treated in the past is how we're going to be treated in the present. And or the way that we feel about ourselves is the way somebody else feels about us. And it's just so fascinating to reflect on all of these things and what it's like to be with a very nourishing person like her someone that is there to support you in all of these ways and how it's almost feeling like something so basic is new and surprising. Is that how you feel? Is that why you are almost surprised that she keeps showing up for you?
1: It is surprising in two ways, I think. It's surprising in the sense that I'm getting to unravel a lot of the Mechanisms of how I think I ought to show up as a man. And I think I touched upon a few of these in our episode about toxic masculinity that we will also link to in the show notes for this episode at WellEvator.com. And to touch back on that episode and a few of the things that I talked about, there's still a reticence and a hesitation sometimes for me to be vulnerable, especially when I'm in emotional pain or physical pain, because there are still layers of conditioning for me as a man in society of don't show weakness. When you are struggling with money, struggling with emotions, struggling with feeling like you're not your best self. Let me just say it that way. Let me encapsulate that. Whether I'm having career or financial struggles during this COVID crisis or depression or anxiety during this COVID crisis or more recently this foot injury, it's been layers of, fuck, I am not, the the mindset in my mind has been, I'm not my best self right now which I think about that phrase, because that's been coming up in my mind. And I actually said to Laura recently, I said, thank you for loving me when I'm not my best self. But if I examine those words in that moment, I am doing my best. And I think it's still this, again, layer of conditioning of as a man, you're supposed to be making money, you're supposed to be providing, you're supposed to be strong, you're not supposed to have this level of weakness and instability in your life. And I have felt, sad and I have felt weak and I have felt sensitive and I have felt confused and I have felt a complete lack of stability in certain aspects of my career and money-making and I have felt all those things and I think the gift of this new relationship is can I still show up and be fully authentic in those things and still love myself and give love to her even though I'm feeling sensitive in pain confused quote not my best but maybe, maybe that's too self-deprecating. Maybe instead of, of saying, you know, I'm not my best right now, maybe it's saying, you know, fuck, I am doing the best I can right now on all these levels. And one of the things that I have struggled with a lot over the entire course of my life has been being way too hard on myself. You know this as my best friend, the people that I'm close to know this, that I'm I set the bar so high that if I don't reach it, I'm incredibly wounding to myself and incredibly cruel sometimes. And I think by virtue of the instability of career and money and pain and confusion and depression and all these things I've been feeling in this new relationship, I haven't held back with her. It's been like, we're going deep, you know, because I guess my philosophy in this moment, Whitney is like, I don't want it to just be the highlight reel. You know, I don't want it to just be, like I said, you know, the walks through the Rose garden and the movies and the amusement park and the beach time and all that's wonderful. I want it to also be like, Hey, I'm struggling right now and I'm a little bit fucked up. And, feeling imbalanced and scared and confused. And can we both be a container for all of it? And maybe, I don't know, to answer your question, my surprise is maybe that, I don't know, maybe I started to expect in some way that just the dating scene in LA to be cliche for a second was just full of like narcissistic, self-centered, closed down people. And like, who wants to give a fuck? Who wants to care anymore? Does anybody want to care anymore? Anybody here? Does anybody want to care? I don't know. Maybe in a certain way, I started to get jaded, if I'm honest about it. Maybe that's something I need to look at. It's interesting you bring this up.
0: Well, that's one of the gifts of relationships, whether we're in them or not, is we can learn so much about ourselves. And I think part of this is letting somebody love you. And in a lot of ways, we put up a lot of barriers so that people won't love us. It's like we're self-sabotaging and Talk about manifestation. I think sometimes we do things to get that confirmation bias, like, well, I'm not lovable. Yes. And we repeat these things and we do these things that we don't even realize are putting up so many obstacles and barriers. And every once in a while, we're blessed. I mean, I guess not everybody experiences this, but sometimes we are blessed with getting into a relationship with somebody who's willing to be patient or to. Work through those barriers, or, or as you're saying, continue to show up even when you don't expect someone to show up. And maybe in your head you're thinking, "Well, this person isn't going to show up for me, and I'm not going to let them show up for me because that way I can prove that I'm not lovable, or I'm, I can prove that nobody can love me, and I, I can get that confirmation bias for being so jaded." And so we kind of like s- like set up our partners for failure too, in a way because we use that as a way to protect ourselves. It feels safer sometimes to be alone. I mean, I think a lot of people are afraid and keep everybody at arm's length. And then we can go through and go back to, I mean, that episode we did with Jason Green about attachment styles and all the different ways that we might avoid relationships or become really attached to people that we're not you know, in a good dynamic with. And um, we feel really anxious about, and we never feel like we're good enough, and we always feel like we're doing something wrong. We're just constantly trying to push people away by saying things and doing things. And it just ends up in this vicious cycle. And it's really interesting. I reflect on these things a lot. I think there's something to be said about being in a long term relationship and letting it unfold, as you're saying too, Jason. I mean, you have had an accelerated experience simply because a lot of the times the first few months or maybe even the first year or so of a relationship is slowly peeling back the layers on somebody because you're spending so much time. It really depends on the circumstances, right? Like how often you're seeing each other. Certainly, if you're only going out on occasional dates, it's going to take longer to really get to know somebody. But if you're spending a ton of time with them, then you get to see them faster because ultimately there's only so much hiding you can do of yourself, <laughs> especially if you're in the same space for a while. I think that's why traveling with somebody is often a, a test of a relationship because when you're traveling, you're you're in closer quarters and you're put in stressful situations. And then similarly, it'll be really interesting to see the data that comes out about relationships during quarantine. I think some relationships are being massively tested and, and some are not standing that, you know, making it through that test. They're not together anymore as a result of, of um, all the stress from COVID and all the stress from spending so much time together or maybe not seeing each other. I mean, there are a number of people that have barely seen each other because of the quarantine, right? And and the opposite could be true too. Those exact same things that sabotage a relationship in some ways can end up helping a relationship. And I think for you, it certainly is a beautiful opportunity for you to experience somebody and their love for you. It's not to say that other people for your past haven't loved you; they've just loved you in a different way, and this is a way that you haven't quite experienced before, and maybe this is a type of love that you really need, and you you just had never even come across, you know, and that's really fascinating
1: or it's just an increased allowing of it in the sense that. I think that I have had a very, not just self-deprecating, but almost defensive stance of, I'm going to let you love me, but only when I'm at my best. And if I'm not at my best or what I perceive as my best, then I'm not worthy of love. That's really, I think, the clearest thing that I can come to in this moment of how much I've pushed away love or pushed people away because I perceived in the past that I wasn't quote, doing my best. You know, I wasn't making as much money as I wanted to, or I wasn't successful enough in my career, or I wasn't, my body or my health wasn't where I wanted it to be. And this bizarre fixation on once I hit, forget ideal partner, once I hit the ideals I've set for myself, right, then I'll be worthy of love. And this was something that I tackled for years with my therapist, Gary, was this concept of a more specific concept that, Unless I'm fully healed, I remember saying this to him a few years ago. Unless I'm fully healed, who's going to love me? You know, so I'm bringing my trauma, my confusion, my questions, my working on myself into a relationship. Who wants to hold space for that? Fuck. Like, that's so heavy. And, you know, he really had to help me unravel that and be like, there's no one who's fully complete on this planet. There's no one who doesn't have some shit or trauma or pain or confusion they're dealing with you know that's part of the human experience and i think in some ways whitney i was trying to in some bizarre way transcend or subvert or avoid that part of my human experience of like bringing that level of what i perceived as quote being fucked up or in pain or in confusion or in trauma into a relationship because oh if they see that side of me if they see those parts of who i am or my journey or my work They're going to get scared or freaked out or whatever, because there's this subjugation we go through via, I think, the dating apps, the media, Hollywood, the idealization of romance, that if it's not that thing, then it must not be valid, right? If it doesn't fit the archetype of what we've been raised in, in the fairy tales and the movies and the songs and all this imprinting we've had over our life, how many of those tales, and there are a few movies. I mean. I think most recently, like a marriage story with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson was phenomenal. But by and large, I mean, if we look at media and storytelling, there's not a lot of really deep, poignant, honest examples of how difficult human relationships are and getting into the shit and the confusion and the pain and trying to love each other through it. There's not a lot of examples we have of that. So for me, I guess my, my journey right now is, can I bring all of it to the table and be okay with that? instead of thinking that i have to be a perfected idealized version of myself in order to be lovable.
0: And i think the opposite is true as well. I was just having a conversation with someone earlier today and we were discussing somebody else's relationship that is close to both of us and it's always interesting like as i get older i i try not to place judgment on my friends or family members relationships because you know you're not in it yourself so who are you to judge it? And I've had to let go of almost like this protectiveness. Well, if I can judge somebody else's relationship, maybe I'm protecting them somehow. If I can like determine whether or not this is a good person for them, like I can help them through it, watching out for them. But what the truth is, that person loves this other person for reasons that we will never fully understand. And there's so much within a relationship that no one could possibly understand unless you're in it. And that's shown me a lot of maturity over the years of just letting it go and saying, you know, that person's on a journey and I'm going to love them and support them. And it also reminds me of something that happened yesterday as a little, as a little um, tangent. I actually went to a restaurant for the first time and sat down. Whoa. And
1: <laughs> you did?
0: Yeah. Not the first time ever, obviously, but the first time since quarantine, and the restaurant shut down and, and there are a number of restaurants in Los Angeles that are opening up. And I felt unsure about it. But there was one in particular that I had really missed a lot. And they actually had been closed. They weren't doing takeout during quarantine. And so I'd really missed their food. And I also missed the experience of going there. And it it felt like a safe place because it it was counter service. And so there was like a, a little bit more cut and dry versus like some traditional restaurants where the wait staff is going back and forth from your table a lot and all that. And Anyways, my precautions aside, what was most fascinating about that meal was not dining in a restaurant for the first time in many months, but the people that were sitting at the table nearby. And it was a couple and they were loudly arguing. And actually I should say the man was being very loud. And to me, I felt triggered because it seemed like he was being a little emotionally abusive and I was really trying to pay attention because I started to get this instinct, like maybe I should say something because I didn't want to be silent if there was some sort of abuse going on. Yeah. And I just kept trying to observe and I was like trying to create a game plan. Like how could I do something without causing any more harm? Because sometimes it's a very delicate situation where if you, as a stranger trying to help, you actually can make things worse. You can trigger the abuse. And so it, you have to be very careful in those situations. And I just thought the only way that I could say anything is if the guy like got up to go to the bathroom and he didn't the entire time I was there, unfortunately. But I also was trying to pay attention to my assumptions and listen in because it sounded like the woman in that dynamic may have also been saying some things that were triggering the guy so I, I guess i had to like step back and say i have no idea what's going on here i'm just like taking the woman's side automatically but what do i know about their dynamic you know what i mean like i don't know like maybe they're just having a, an argument and it happens to be public you know like maybe they're just having an off day i have no idea and it was just fascinating and, and it ties back into to my point here about this conversation i had earlier which was about a couple that seems like it's going to end this relationship. And um, the person I was speaking with was saying how the man in this relationship seems like he may never be in a long term relationship, such as a marriage, simply because he's always looking for the perfect woman. And he's so seemingly obsessed with the ideals that no one will ever be good enough for him. Like he'll always find a flaw. That's the perception. And again, who am I or who is this person I was talking to to know? We're only going off of little bits of information that we collect. But that's an interesting thing too. I mean, it, it's similar to what you're saying, Jason, about how you're feeling about yourself. But sometimes we or other people are so fixated on finding that perfect person that that keeps us from being in a relationship because there is no perfect person. There is, There truly is like no ideal relationship. It's just what works for you in that present moment that you're in that. And as we explored a bit with Sunny in our recent episode, sometimes it changes. Like You might think that you're going to be with this person forever. Maybe your relationship or your marriage feels amazing. And it's, it's always going to work. And no matter what, you're with each other through thick and thin. But that might not always be the case. Like Forever is kind of relative. There is going to be an end at some point whether something changes in the relationship, one person changes, one person's desires change, the circumstances change or even losing somebody for whatever reason, you know, whether it's death or or you decide that you want to live different lives. I mean, there's just so many factors, so I think it's a lot more fluid than set in stone even if it is marriage, you know, and I've also seen people in marriages that Didn't seem like they were going very well, but that person was committed to staying in it no matter what, whether it was religious reasons or just strong commitment. And, you know, from the outside, you can judge it and say, like, this person should really get out of that relationship. But I also admire people that have stayed in relationships even during incredibly challenging experiences. I mean, there's something to be said for that too. So I guess ultimately at this stage, I don't know if there is a global ideal. I think it's just ultimately what the ideal relationship for you is right now. And just like anything else in life, knowing that 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 could change. I think relationships are such a sensitive subject matter because well, we don't most of us don't want to be alone. We're terrified of being lonely. And yet we also want to protect ourselves and we know that nobody can truly understand us as much as we understand ourselves. And a lot of us don't even truly understand ourselves anyway. So how could we imagine somebody else understanding us, right? And if if we don't love ourselves, how can we imagine somebody else loving us, you know? And, and we're two people like magnifying each other's life challenges. And that can sound terrifying, but also we cling on to it because as human beings, we're designed to be connected in one way or another we survive with each other and we are you know procreating and 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 adding more human beings to society oftentimes in our relationships and that feels important to the human life cycle in general and there's just like so much weight that we place on relationships so they become very important to us and they feel complicated and there's all this pressure and yet Maybe if we just step back and realize like there's no right or wrong way to them, it's just what is in that moment.
1: Yeah. I love that you said that there's no right or wrong way because we've talked a lot about formulas and roadmaps and people with their plans. More specifically in previous episodes, we've talked about it in terms of of business or career or financial success of, I did it this way and this is how I made my million and this is how I scaled my company and just take my formula and my roadmap and you'll do it too. I see the same stuff in relationships online.
0: Like relationship experts?
1: Not even relationship experts. These are just coaches, influencers that aren't even in the relationship sphere. Yes to relationship experts, but I see it filtering into other people in the entrepreneurial slash wellness slash consciousness space. And it's usually the same kind of story. And it goes like this, you know, I got out of another failed relationship and I was just so heartbroken and devastated that I decided to, that I was going to absolutely stay single for whatever it is, a year or two years or three years. And during that time, I really worked on myself and I got super clear about how to love myself and you know optimizing my self-care and taking care of me, learning who I was for the first time in my life. And then I wrote a list of all the ideal qualities I wanted in a man. And you know, because I learned so much from my previous wounding and took the three years to work on myself and stayed celibate and didn't date and wrote my list. Then all of a sudden, one month later, he showed up and now blah, blah, blah. We have a, a new house we just bought and da da da, And I always believed this would come true and yada, yada, yada. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. I am saying that this is, again, to me, going back to a very pedantic, myopic, privileged position of like, I did all these things in this way. And so, if you do these things in this way, you'll get your dream guy too or your dream girl. And I see a lot of positioning like this, right, of just do it like I did it and then just keep believing and don't give up and don't, I see, don't compromise a lot, don't compromise. And I think we've like, we've given fuel to these people because it's like, oh, I'm so happy. And it is, it's great. If you found someone you jive with, like, congratulations, I'm not poo-pooing the relationship, I'm poo-pooing the mentality of formula and steps and roadmaps of do it like I did, and you'll manifest your dream partner too, or you'll make your first million dollars, or you'll scale up your company, or you'll make the Fortune 500, whatever it is. There's just so much of this bullshit mentality. I'm going to call it bullshit. I think it's bullshit. I do. I think it's bullshit because it's like, all you need to do is do it the way I did it, and you'll have all the things you want to. And it just starts to feel icky to me when I see that stuff, Whitney. There's a part of me that goes like, oh, there's... Like that's great, and i'm not I'm not taking away people's happiness when I say this. I'm taking umbrage and issue with the formulaic mentality of do it like I did it, and you'll have all your dreams come true too. And it just doesn't work that way,
0: yeah, I think formulations in general are a little bit dangerous for lack of a better word because then it can make you feel like if if you followed the formulation and you didn't get it right, something's wrong with you. or if you want to do things differently you feel like an outlier because your way is different than the other way and and then i mean we've talked about this so much with like expertise how the danger of expertise is that it can make it feel black and white like this is the right way this is the wrong way this if you want to fail at something don't do these things or do these things if you know and you're going to set yourself up for things not working out and you know i remember at least a couple times in my history of of relationships how when i was going through a rough breakup i would often turn to guidance to just try to figure out like how can i do things differently next time and i would often turn to them during the hardest parts and i think i was looking for comfort it was comforting to try to understand it that's how i process it's like well if i can just understand it better then i'll be able to heal my pain and I'll be able to like set myself up for success. And that's actually what led me to reading the 5 Love Languages for the first time. And so I'm really grateful for that. And that really gave me a greater understanding. And as I mentioned earlier, I've I've read books on the attachment style. And I'm I'm friends with Jason Green, who he had on the show. And he's doing a lot of great work around that stuff. And, And I think it's interesting to watch his success on TikTok, which is just astounding what he's been able to accomplish through that platform. I think a lot of people are drawn to his content on relationships st- or attachment styles, I should say, because it's very comforting. It's like, okay, now I understand. <laughs> and I think there's that feeling of if I can just cognitively get something, then I'm going to do it better next time or maybe I can like understand my way through this. But we're complex human beings. And so I think it's very helpful to have those tools and that knowledge, but that doesn't really give you protection. <laughs> you know, like,
1: yeah, protection, Whitney. Yes.
0: It's like we're looking f- for the answers. And the truth is, just like in life, there are no black and white answers. And I think relationships being such a huge part of our lives and the fact that we are in a relationship by definition with somebody else. There's only so much that you can do as a person because that other person has to be doing their own work and they have to be on the same page with you. but again, there's only so close that we can get to being on the same page. We're never going to be exactly on the same page. you know if we're in a a heterosexual relationship, men and women are inherently different, but even in homosexual relationships, I imagine. You know, just because you're the same gender doesn't mean that it's easy. (laughs) You know, maybe it's even harder because you're so similar. And I think, even personality wise, like, are you better off with somebody who's just like you and thinks like you and acts like you, lives like you? Or maybe it's beneficial to be in a relationship with somebody who's different than you so you can complement each other. I mean, there's so many different factors. And then we have age. Like, should you be? the same age as somebody or is it better to be a different ages and should the man be older or the woman be you know like all of these different factors ultimately there is no perfect formula there just isn't some things work when you really don't think that they would work and some things don't work even though it seems like they're checking off all the boxes and so when i, I talk about the dangers of a formula it's like i guess to me it's a, it's more of like an emotional danger because it's all about expectations and if you're expecting that if you follow a formula, that you're going to get a certain outcome. It's really emotionally tough. If you don't get that outcome, your expectations are blown apart. And I think it's tough when you have expectations in a relationship in general. You're expecting a certain person to act the way that you do and think the way that you do. And looking back to that dynamic I saw at the restaurant yesterday, what I seem to be witnessing was two people who thought very differently about something. It's from the little bits and pieces I I heard, it was like they were both arguing for their positions. And you see this in a lot of tension between two people. It's like, they're just not seeing eye to eye. They're both seeing things differently. And it it can be so frustrating. And I think the older that that I get, and the more relationships that I've been through in my life, the more patience I'm developing for that. And before either I or the person that I was in a relationship with would fight so hard to be understood or to get somebody to to see it our way. <laughs> and now I feel like, you know what? I don't need that person to see it my way. I just need for us to both like come to a place of, of loving each other no matter what and respecting each other and listening to one another. You know, it's like simply That act of listening is one of the most powerful things that we can do. And then letting go of the expectations of what will happen. I think a lot of us like expect that if we do things right, we will get this outcome. And if we do things wrong, it won't go our way.
1: It's like a dual-edged sword of if I follow the formula and the roadmap and do everything right, then I'll get the love I want. But I think there's also... A motivation that's really close to that, which is, if I do everything right, and I manifest the partner with all these qualities, then I won't be hurt again. And I think that that edge between checking all the boxes and doing all the things right and having a person who embodies these qualities means I'll get the love that I desire, but it also means I won't get hurt as bad. Yep. And it's almost as if we come out of relationships that have ended saying, I'll never let that happen again, or I'll never be with someone like that again. So as long as I'm with a person who's like this, that's different or quote, better, right? Because one of the mental infections of our society, I think one of the mental health issues is we're constantly told we need new, better, and different with everything. Got to be new, better, and different. It's no different with relationships. So the next one's got to be new, better, and different than the last one because then I'll get the love I want and I won't get hurt again. But we have to be really mindful of what our motivations are, right? Because if we're constantly trying to avoid pain or idealizing things so that we're not hurt, or we quote, get what we want, to your point, Whitney, doesn't guarantee a damn thing. You know, there's, to me, if you are committed to knowing yourself you're committed to doing the work of healing your own trauma and your own pain and doing that in a container of any intimate relationship. Uh, we're talking about romance now, but I think even even deep friendship or deep partnership out of a romantic context, I feel there's going to be pain no matter what. You know, Even my deepest friendships, I mean, you and I have had many challenging, painful situations in our friendship, but the depth of love that I have for you and the commitment I have to our friendship and the way you and I love each other as friends and colleagues is is solid and, and it's there and it's an anchor, right? It, it doesn't mean that I don't expect with you, wit as friends and colleagues, there's not going to be another challenging situation or another painful moment. Probably will be, you know, almost guaranteed there's going to be because I think as we know each other and reveal those layers and go deeper and have a commitment to truth and knowing each other, those kind of situations will arise. So I'm at a point where I feel trying to avoid pain in any relationship is fool's gold. I think it's completely focusing our energy in the wrong place.
0: Yes, I agree. And, you know, another thing that comes up for me too is I think one of the reasons that we're looking for this information about how to be in an ideal relationship is like, how can I set myself up so I'm an ideal person? And another part of pain is being rejected and that feeling of, well, I must not be good enough, but this person is rejecting me. And that, or like being broken up with. Like what did I do wrong? And maybe I I checked off all the boxes. Like why doesn't this person love me? I mean, I've been through that too of of feeling like wow, I must not be good enough because that person doesn't want to date me or I must not be good enough because that person broke up with me. And that is also incredibly painful of feeling like either I haven't done enough or wow, I thought I was doing everything right. And yet it still didn't work out.
1: That's devastating. I say it's devastating because the latter situation you talked about of, I thought I checked all of the boxes of what a quote, good boyfriend is or a good partner is, and it still failed. Having experienced that, that to me is a particular type of suffering because it, it has made me question in the past, well, if I'm doing everything Right, or how I think I ought to, or embodying the qualities of a quote good boyfriend partner, why should I even try again? Because if I did all the right things and showed up and gave love and was generous and listened and blah bub- blah all whatever the things are in my mind of what I think that should be or or what the other person told me they wanted, and I tried my best to embody those qualities. It's like a mind virus almost of like well fuck if 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 I couldn't make this work and showed up and did my best why try again? That's a painful headspace. Because in some ways in life, and not just relationships, I think, whether it's you know sports or something competitive or business or career, whatever. For me, I know when I've half-assed stuff, it's like, well, yeah, of course it didn't work out. And almost in a way, by not showing up fully in our relationships, again, not just romantic, business, career, creative relationships, partnerships, the whole enchilada, it's almost an out when we half-ass shit, right? It, it, it can be used as like, well, I don't, I, I don't really care that much, or I know I didn't give my all to it, so that's why it failed. It's almost like we give ourselves an out when it doesn't go the way we wanted to, right? But when, when you really, in your heart, feel like you showed up fully, there's no real out then. It's not like, uh, I didn't really give a shit, or I didn't really care that much, fuck it. When we fully show up or really give ourselves over to something and it doesn't work out, it's really, I found it really hard to pick myself up and try again.
0: And there's so much ego wrapped up into it as well, because it also makes me think about the revenge body, you know, that's kind of a cliche totally. thing women. Yeah. Or I bet you men do this too. It's like, well, this relationship didn't work out. So I'm going to go change myself and sh- improve my worth. Like I'm going to go lose weight and get in really good shape or Do my makeup or change my hair color or get a new car or move into a new house. It's like, let me show how great I am online. And you just wonder how many times people's social media accounts are are basically like trying to prove how great they are for a certain I mean, I know I've done this too. I'll I'll be the first to admit it, like posting things on social media because I know somebody I like follows me. And I'm hoping that they'll see me and see how great I am because of how nice I look in photos. And it's like, looking back on that, it's so cringy, but it's so common. Have you done that too, Jason? Like in all seriousness, have you ever posted something online because you're hoping that it would impress a a specific person that you were interested in?
1: I don't feel like I've done that romantically, but I have... Or
0: or how about this? Have you ever done it like as... um a way of proving how great you are after somebody rejected you or you went through a breakup. Like, hey, let me show how great my life is online so that that person's going to regret not being with me.
1: Yes. Yeah. In the context of like, I ain't suffering for you. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> you think I'm, you think I'm suffering? Fuck you. I'm not suffering. Look, you know, like, all, so in my own way, yes. Not in a way of like being a thirst trap, right? Of like, you know, look at my abs or like, look at my, <laughs> look at my muscles or look at my butt. Not that I would post pictures of my butt online. It's not that nice or big, but in the way of, yeah, like you didn't destroy me. You thought, oh, you thought you were going to crush me. No, you didn't. Look at this. I'm great. I'm in Costa Rica or I just adopted a new cat or I just bought my new motorcycle. What like, those are just random examples, not specifically related to that. But yeah, of course I've done that of, of you're not going to catch me suffering. No, no, no. Of course I was suffering privately, but publicly, no, I feel like I have done that. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's really fascinating to confront that and just step back and think, wow, Like, I mean, I, I've done that a lot in my life of using social media to try to prove my worthiness. And then the, the lengths of which I would try to go to make myself look like the type of person that somebody else might be interested in. You know what I mean? <laughs> or even I remember as a kid, when I first was was developing romantic feelings or my hormone, whatever, wh- however you would phrase it, like when I was starting to be interested in boys, basically, I remember very distinctly. <sighs> I can't remember if I brought this up, Jason. I think that you're going to react the same way, even if I have repeated this. But have, have I ever told you about the time that me and my best friend from childhood and still to this day, we're very close. Um, She and I wanted to go find boys. And we're like, okay, well, where are we going to find them? Like, maybe if we go to the mall and go to the arcade, that's where the boys are going to be.
1: This does not sound familiar. No, please (laughs) keep going.
0: Like getting dressed up. And we were young. I mean, gosh, I'm just estimating we were like 10 years old or something, right? Like, maybe somewhere like 10 or 11. I don't know. But I just remember like, Going to the mall and going into the arcade looking for guys and like dressing up a certain way, however, we thought that we needed to look. And it's just so funny to reflect back on that because we were so young. Like, who are we going to date back then? But like, basically trying to make ourselves look the way that we thought boys would want us to look. And as a woman, spending so much of my life doing things like that and trying to like create this image and there have been instances where I've changed part of myself or at least like my outer self or got new hobbies. I mean even my my vegan story is tied to that. You know, I originally went vegan because of a guy that I was interested in which is coincidentally somebody else Jason knows separately from me, but it's like my whole journey into being vegan started with a crush that I had and hoping that I could like impress somebody. By changing this huge part of my life, you know, and, and sometimes that works out to your benefit. I mean, there are certainly things that I've added into my life or changed about myself for somebody else that ultimately became for me. And that's why I don't have regrets about them. But I guess the sad part of it for me is like feeling the need to change, feeling the, the desire to prove myself, or like not feeling good enough, not feeling accepted or loved, feeling rejected and thinking like, well, maybe if I just show them how great I am, they'll change their mind about me.
1: I feel like this is the exact same kind of mentality that infects our business dealings too, Whitney. And in the sense of how for the listener, just to give you kind of a glimpse into the world of Online content creators or, or influencers, I, and I still cringe at that word. Whitney and I still cringe so much at that word. I wish there was a better word, but it's just an umbrella being used for convenience in this moment. That this idea of not being good enough and proving our worth and and showing our worth—it's such a dangerous place mentally to be in because book deals and TV deals and brand endorsements and clothing endorsements and and pharmaceut- not pharmaceuticals, but uh, the, the beauty industry and. So many aspects of marketing now, if you are a writer, an author, a content creator, a YouTuber, a person who specializes in a specific industry, how much you get paid from a corporate sponsor or brand sponsor, uh, a publisher, a TV network, these things are all very much tied to your online following and your numbers. And they're constantly, not everyone, but But the industry really is driven by your numbers. And when one has a conversation with a publisher or a TV network or a brand sponsor, a lot of times, more often than not, how big is your platform? What's your platform? Where are your numbers at? Like That comes into the conversation. And you can understand why that is because these entities want to invest their marketing dollars in something that's going to give them some semblance of an ROI in terms of eyeballs, views, comments, click-throughs, conversions. We get that. But it's putting us in a position as human beings of evaluating our inherent worth based on these external numbers and digital platforms based on how much money we make or how much success these, quote, gatekeepers will give us in the world. And it's hard mentally to navigate that space, right? When when you're rejected or you get passed on a book deal or you get passed on a brand partnership or you see it go... Uh, there's been situations where I've seen it go to other people, right? Like I was passed on something and saw it, go, saw it go to someone else. And then it's like, whoa, I really need to do a lot of work around my own self-worth and comparison now.
0: And that's a direct correlation or comparison, I should say, with relationships. Because I mean, have you ever... I'm sure you have. You see somebody break up with you, and then they move on to somebody else.
1: Completely,
0: or they get married or something to the next person, and you just think, "Wow." I mean, it's so similar that feeling of, "Oh, I wasn't good enough, but this next person was, and this person was chosen over me."
1: Yeah, it's it's more opportunities life is giving us to love ourselves. Really, I I mean, and really get to the heart of inadequacies we feel or. Ways that we start to feel like it really goes back to the not good enoughness of what did I do wrong? How am I not good enough? Did I not show up? And ultimately, no matter what we do, as you said, Whitney, whether it's a business relationship, a career thing, a partnership, romantic, whatever the context of human relationship is, we ultimately can never control or manipulate how someone else is going to choose to think about us, react to us, respond to us, or treat us. We can inform that person of, hey, you know, I'd prefer you didn't speak to me that way, or I I don't want you to treat me this way, or you know, could you treat me with more kindness? We can request and be very clear about how we want to be treated in the container of that relationship. But ultimately, we have zero control over another person's thoughts, reactions, interpretations, and meaning they assign to things. We have no control over ultimately over what is going on inside that person's universe. You know, so this idea that we do the things the right way and we check all the boxes and show up in our bed. And I was my best self. Why didn't this work out? Is because we can't ultimately control another person. We can't do it.
0: It takes a lot of mindfulness. And I think that's ultimately what this comes down to is that self-awareness and being mindful about your relationship dynamics. And yes, I think having an idea of what you want is helpful for a lot of things. You know, The path to Getting what you want is usually paved by clarity and having a direction to go in. But relationships are tricky when it comes and, and actually businesses too. I mean, coming back to Jason's point is that you can want things in your life, whether it's love or money, success, all of these things that we go after as human beings. but we have to let go of attachments and expectations because we don't have that much control we do have control over our desires to an extent. We have control over our, our behavior. And I think the, really the best that we can do is focus on that present moment and finding the peace and the gratitude and the love in that moment. And knowing that our lives can change for better or for worse. They can feel really good the next moment. They might feel worse in the next moment. They might feel good or bad. And and without us having control over how another person acts and behaves towards us and thinks about us. I think that's why relationships feel so tricky and vulnerable is because we don't feel like we have control. But a lot of the control that we feel that we have in life is not actually there. <laughs> Most things are are very uncertain. And that's why mindfulness is so key, that personal awareness. And for me, what I aim is just to be happy and grateful and address things moment by moment and try not to control them. Try not to predict them. Try not to be attached to expectations. And I think one of the ways that we try to protect ourselves is like, if I just take care of myself, then I'll be good. I'll be safe. And nobody else is going to have any effect on me. And and I think it's, it's a little bit different in relationships. And it's like, you, yeah, you might need to put on the oxygen mask first, but then you also should be aware of how your actions and behavior are affecting other people and how they're feeling and do your very best to take care of them as, as best you know how. And I think that's part of the reason some people are afraid to be in relationships is it just seems so scary and complicated and so much work. It's like, ugh, I'd rather just be alone. And I'd rather just push people away and keep them at an arm's length. And I'm just going to sabotage things and all of that. And I guess there's no right or wrong. You know, if it feels better for you and more comfortable to be alone, like I'm not gonna judge you for that. You know, I have some friends in my life that haven't been in a relationship for a really long time. And that might be a comfort thing, but it's our role here with this podcast to encourage you to go outside your comfort zone and just continue to re examine things and know that there really isn't a right or wrong. There are formulas, but my point is there's no like perfect formula and, and maybe no actual ideal relationship outside of what's ideal for you in your life in this moment. And maybe that feels scary to people. Maybe they they want to follow a rule. Maybe it feels safer, or more comfortable to follow a formula and, and feel like they're getting it right and feel bad when they're getting it wrong. But personally, I feel better knowing that there is no right or wrong and that I'm just going to try to feel my best and do my best in every given moment and lead with my heart. I feel best when I'm centered and know that I'm giving myself love and putting out love into the world the best I know how in that moment and and allowing myself to grow my mindfulness, grow my awareness and stay curious each and every day.
1: There was an article I read yesterday, Whitney, as a tangent, but related to what you just said about Bruce Lee and it was an article about whether or not Bruce Lee would be an MMA champion, a mixed martial arts champion. That Did Bruce Lee ever actually win any real fights? That's not really the point of Bruce Lee's fighting prowess. It went into his philosophy about life and how him being raised in Wing Chun Kung Fu and being trained by a very traditional martial art That over the course of his life, and Bruce Lee died at 32, over the course of his short life, his wonderful life, he created his own version, his own martial art called Jeet Kune Do, which his philosophy was no philosophy at all. It was, if you're following a formula, if you're following a tradition, if you're following a rigid fixed system, you never have the ability to adapt to life situations, not just fights and protecting yourself, but life in general. And one of Bruce Lee's biggest quotes is, be like water, my friend and him going on a interesting talk. Uh, we can link to that in the show notes as well about how water takes the form of whatever you put it in. It can be liquid in a cup. It can be vapor. It can be ice. It takes on whatever form it's given. And I think when it comes to relationships, the philosophy I'm starting to look at, Whitney, is very similar to the philosophy of looking at our lifestyle, our diet, our exercise, how we connect with people. How we relate to the world is that If people are looking for one system to define themselves for the rest of their life, whether that's an eating philosophy or a way of looking at the world or a meditation technique or a yoga practice, I think there's this this real desire in people of like, I found the way. This is the way. This is the only yoga I'm going to practice for the rest of my life. This is the only way I'm going to eat. This is the only way I'm going to worship. This is the only way I'm going to do for my career. But it's ignoring that we as human beings are incredibly dynamic beings we're ever changing, we're ever growing, we're ever evolving, not just on a cellular level, on a level of consciousness, on a level of spirit, on a level of the experiences shaping us and our being in different ways. So instead of being in a rigid fixed system or a formulaic mentality, not just in relationship, we encourage you, dear listener, to examine how fluidity and change and evolution and growth plays a role in your life and If there are any systems or ways of being that you're attached to in your life that are maybe no longer serving you in certain ways, can you let go of those rigid, fixed systems and maybe be open to different input and different information and living differently? That's our encouragement to you. It's certainly something that I'm looking at every single day and uh, thinking about how I can be more fluid and adaptive in life. And that being said, we have so many great resources for you, dear listener, on our website, WellEvator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We have not only the show notes for this episode, but all of the episodes of This Might Get Uncomfortable, along with the videos, documentaries, books, links, quotes, anything of importance and virtue and depth that we reference during the episodes, you will find in the show notes. You will also find some free resources on our website, including our eBooks. You Are Enough and also our growing library of courses, including the Consistency Code and Wellness Warrior Training, if you want to get even more tools and techniques and trainings on your mental and emotional wellness. You can also connect with us on all of the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Pinterest at Wellevator. And what we love most, of course, is hearing from you directly. Whenever we get emails, from our listeners and supporters that is so fantastic and including our patrons on patreon we also do have a patreon account we have some great supporters there if you want to check that out it is patreon.com slash wellevator we will link to that in the show notes as well so if you want to get a hold of us directly shoot us an email hello at wellevator.com and we will be back again soon with more content about how we navigate this crazy little thing called life this crazy little thing called life so until then we love you we appreciate you and thanks for getting uncomfortable with us